You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. My guest tonight, first in-studio guest I've had in quite a while, is uh, Miss Kenya Abbott, fellow Podcast Detroit host of Politican and many many other pursuits, which mm-hmm. we will get to. So thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> On uh, the other side. Have you done another podcast show, uh, Detroit show yet? Is this a... Uh, um, Actually, well, I have been on Can We Talk a couple times um, as a feature and interview. So just mm-hmm. getting my feet wet on the other side. I like this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's easier. Yeah. You can just – you don't have to prep or anything. You just, you just answer the questions, mm-hmm. right? Um, I haven't done it myself yet. I'm trying – at least I don't think I have. I sure hope I'm accurate on that. I've been on one other podcast, but it wasn't a podcast Detroit show. Okay. Um, but uh, now because I've been engineering now, I've, I've, I've been on a couple other shows mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. This, I was on a show called The Fours the other night. It's on Monday nights. So there's these three okay. dudes or four dudes uh, talking about uh, sports and I'm not a sports guy at all, mm-hmm. but this was entertaining. It mm-hmm. was, I was, I, I asked them, them to be on afterwards. We don't have a date set yet, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I was like, oh man, we got to get this. That was really good. So, mm-hmm. um, but uh, anyway, uh, so getting into the interview proper, I always uh, start off with the same question. That question is, where were you born? I was born in Detroit. Detroit, do you know the hospital, like the area? Sinai Grace. Sinai Grace. Smile and Greenfield area, yes. I used to deliver <laughs> to that hospital when I worked for hospice. I would, I would, oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah. don't think I would step foot in there right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was a while ago. That was that was 10 years ago, actually. It'll be 10 years next year that I was when I started doing that, and Detroit was the first area I had. Okay. Um, and so I was I was in there quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. And then we lost the client that, that had worked there so we mm-hmm. we didn't do it anymore but um uh so did you grow up in Detroit then or are you like where where did you grow up mixed um so i grew up a little bit in detroit uh with my mother uh we stayed with my grandparents and then she ended up getting married we ended up staying with my dad's mom as well um and then we moved to Oak Park so i actually grew up in Oak Park for like early, my early years as far as like elementary middle school and then i ended up going to Cass Tech uh, okay. For high school, so I was still commuting, but I was living in Oak Park, spending a lot of time. Though a lot of my playtime was in Detroit, <laughs> okay, in the city, city proper. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so the majority was in Oak Park then. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what were you into? Like, what did you spend your time doing? You said a lot of your playtime was in Detroit, but like, yeah. what what 
was playtime consisting of? Like, what, what did you do? I mean, as far as high school, um, I played volleyball, but that was kind of a little bit all over Michigan. Um, as far as like earlier years, I did a little bit of everything. I ran track, played basketball, um, did all the student government type of stuff. That's I just carried not that. surprising. Yeah. <laughs> carried that into high school as well. Um, and as far as like the playtime, I mean, just hanging out with friends, like, you know, before Detroit is, you know, where it's at now, booming, we were on the river walk. Right. Oh, yeah. We were hanging out on the people mover, riding around, and like we, we like to test dummies. That's what I was <laughs> for what people actually utilize these spaces. Uh, we were kind of there before a lot of the development came, so it's really interesting to see it now. Yeah, like I mean, mm-hmm. what 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 do you think about that? I mean, we'll get into Detroit. One mm-hmm. couple of my questions are, are, mm-hmm. are involved that, but just right now, like I mean, being on the people mover as a kid versus being yeah. on the people mover now, like I mean, what are your thoughts I mean, on you that? You just see more. Right. You see more. It's more people. It's way more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being able to see not so many abandoned buildings, but places actually occupied and people actually interacting when you get off the people mover and it's not like a dead zone. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I think that that's something that I notice now more so than I did as a kid. But even then, though, it's crazy because places like Greek Town and, you know, like that whole area has always been kind of like. You know, people are there. Right. Uh, but now it's more areas that people can kind of go to and interact and hang out. So a lot of those little gaps that were that existed at once, they no longer exist. Everything's filled up now, I've noticed. So, yeah, it's it's it, I mean, it, you know, like I said, when I was down there, mm-hmm. I kind of got to know like which areas were, you know, it's like this one's being developed and this one mm-hmm. isn't, you know. And it was, and I was delivering beds to everybody. So mm-hmm. it was, it was really like a, like a, an interesting, uh, equalizer type thing you know it's like this person's you know getting one in a basement that has a you know one light bulb in it, and then this person's like in gross point or something and yeah. it's this beautiful hundred year old house mm-hmm. that hasn't you know been touched and even so. the area around like cast too like none of that cast corridor nothing yeah. was in cast corridor when i went to cast so mm-hmm. it's very interesting to just ride up second now and be like wow or ride up cast and say wow like so much so many small businesses um and just so much development bike lanes like none of that was there when i was in high school <laughs> yeah, highland park too like I, I oh, th- yeah. that 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 whole area is is um there was a facility i went to in there that uh, had you know i mean it was interesting so you had to back the truck into this alley mm-hmm. and there were wires hanging from the the telephone poles and so it was like don't touch those wires you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and every single time so you had to back it in so you're de- you know delivering stuff um so that's it's it's nice to see i mean and highland so. park is interesting because there's so much development happening around highland park but mm-hmm. not necessarily in, in highland, highland park, park yeah. and it's crazy because i didn't even know shinola warehouse is in highland park mm-hmm. yeah and people aren't really hip to that but i'm not hip to only, that <laughs> the only thing that's really in highland park right now so i mean thinking about where that place will be soon huh. well, well, well we'll get more into that in a bit um mm-hmm. but uh i my first memory i just want to say because this is kind of a funny story my very first memory of detroit that i always associate detroit with when i was a little kid i mean i was like because i was riding on my dad's shoulders that's mm-hmm. how little i was I remember we were in some because it was in Greek Town. When you brought up Greek Town, I, this mm-hmm. whenever I think Greek Town, I think I think uh, minor head trauma because <laughs> I remember uh, we were in this bakery or something, and uh, my dad picked me up, put, put put me on his shoulders, and there was a light fixture overhead that he didn't see, and he lifted me right into it and just bang. I remember it, the bakery was like full. It was the reason I asked him to pick me up is because I couldn't see anything. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, just you hear everybody go, "Oh!" Because everyone saw it. <laughs> what a story! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what I—that's my first. Uh, that was my crazy. first impression. But um, but anyway, that um, sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, back to you. Um, so uh, what you said—you you grew up with your grandparents and your mom primarily. 
Well, really, my mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was really short lived. That was probably like early, early years, like from the hospital to like preschool. And w- what was what did she do for a living? My mom. Mm-hmm. My mom worked at a Ford. Um, she had other jobs before, but when I was young, she worked at Ford. She ended up retiring, uh, disabled because she got diagnosed with breast cancer when I was in middle school. So huh. she's actually been living her, I would say, best life because she doesn't have to work and I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, she uh, worked at the plant and things like that. And so, but she made it look easy. Which I plant was, was she at? Um, she actually changed around a couple of times. I want to say Sheldon mm-hmm. Ford, maybe. Uh, and she was an operator, or what did what did she do? On the line, yeah, but she also had, like, you know how, like, people grow as far as, like, on the line, so you get different perks and stuff like that. You yeah. Know, you start to manage the line, so you're not necessarily doing all the work. So I think she was in that position. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, is she still living down there then, too, or? No, my mom stays in Oak Park still. Oh, she's in Oak Park. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So uh, what kind of a student were you? You kind of got into that a little bit, like you did sports <laughs> and you were in student government and all that, but, yeah. like, I mean, as far as, like, actual schoolwork, what kind of a student were you? I mean. I think I was pretty good. I was the one of those kids who brought home like all A's and B's, but always had bad citizenship because <laughs> I talked too much. I mean, really? I don't know. It was as if I wasn't being challenged enough, I guess you could say. I was an overachiever, but once my work was done, mm-hmm. I was chattered. You know, I love to talk to people, social butterfly. Um, and that's what really got me in trouble in school. I never really got into fights or anything like that. It was always because I probably was talking. So my mom used to always ask me like, how are you getting all of these good grades, but you keep getting threes in citizenship? And it'd be so funny. <laughs> Do the students even get citizenship anymore? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I probably did, but I never paid attention to it, so okay. I couldn't tell you what I got. Yeah, so. so, but um, yeah. So that's that's a really interesting mix. I don't think anybody's ever said that when I when I answer <laughs> the question. It's it's never. It's either I was okay or I was really good and really involved. It was never I was really good and really involved, and then I also you know. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, talked a lot, like Balance. you just said. Yeah, and yeah. it also depends on the teacher too, right? Uh-huh. So some teachers. Oh, you were arguing with the teachers, huh? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it depend on the type of teacher. Like I felt like some teachers had a problem with me, and I've had those issues in school where it was like, "Why are you beefing out with the student?" You know, like I don't understand that. But then I had those teachers that were very pivotal in my life that I still have relationships with that were like mentors, and so that was always the balance for me. I never really had like. Oh, all great teachers or great experiences. No even one though does, I was right? doing good, though. It really doesn't make sense. Well, <laughs> can you give us an example of the mentor teacher and then an example of the teacher that you argued with? <laughs> yeah, so um, when I was in – oh, I can give a good one. So this was probably like sixth or seventh grade. I had an awesome teacher, uh, Miss Thomas, who actually ended up being the principal of the middle school I was at, social studies. I mean, when I say she was so engaged and, like, so cool – um, her as well as the librarian. And it's funny because they both ended up, um, they were in the sorority that I ended up being in when I got to college. So it was uh. like an indirect kind of influence versus another teacher who I don't even remember her name, but she was kind of new. And she would always like flip out on students because students would test her. I wasn't necessarily that type of student, but I did like to like skip sometimes <laughs> or, you know, I might come to class later or something. And she really flipped out on me one day. And I do not like that kind of disrespect from adults because it's like you have to give what you want. But I do have a lot of respect for adults. So mm-hmm. it was like, why are you crossing that line and kind of like going off and in my face? And it was just like, lady. 
I will snap, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was like night and day because I would never do that to, you know, my mentors or the teachers that I really had a lot of respect for that poured into us. So right. it was just very interesting because usually the teachers that are like that are the ones who really don't pour into students anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, How old were you when that happened? Uh, that probably was like seventh grade. So oh, so you're like twelve. Like twelve. Oh my god. Yeah, very <laughs> upset with her. <laughs> and what? Then that just. I mean, if you don't mind me asking, like, how did that resolve itself? Was it just did she, she, she just, just like, like sit your ass like down? Or, yeah, yeah, it was just like a you know I'm gonna go send it back a class or I could have walked out. I don't really. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> I uh, I sat in the back too. I remember. My, the best teacher I ever had was an English teacher. I remember I had him senior year. I'd, I'd met him freshman year of high school, and uh, I sat in the because he had a podium at the front of the class, and I would always sit in like the far corner, like as far away from the front as I could mm-hmm. get. And he, the first day, he called my name when he was taking attendance. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I want everybody to pay attention, Mister Berg. Uh, uh, I'm going to take this podium. I'm going to swap it over to the other side of the room, and you'll notice that next next time he'll be over in the opposite corner." As far away from me as he can possibly be. So was that purposeful? Uh, yeah, he was. I mean, he was fucking with me, you know. But he wasn't being a jerk. He was just. He was. He was taking the piss a little bit. So, uh-huh. um, so uh, trying to decide where I want to go with this next. Uh, we'll just. I'll jump right into this. Uh, you on your website, you uh, describe yourself as a leader, advocate, activist, and scholar. Mm-hmm. I know this is going to be a lot, but if you could go through each one of those terms and tell me like what they mean to you and like, you know, how you consider yourself. Yeah. And so just for all, you know, I love transparency. I created these different titles. Um, I had to do a capstone for my journalism course uh, when I was an undergrad at MSU. And so we had to create like a website and brand ourselves. And so that's where these different terms kind of came from. And so at the time, I mean, and I still kind of held on to them um, through politicking as well. But leader is just being the fact that no matter any point in my life, I've always been in some type of leadership position. Um, never usually on my own will, but it's as if it kind of just all works itself out that way. So from serving on student governments or just even going to college and being, you know, like on our student government board or representing different organizations, I'm always I've always held leadership. Um, amongst like my classmates or just in life in general. Um, advocate uh, is more so for the fact that I stand for things and things that I truly stand for, I'm vocal about it. And so I love to call myself an advocate for the things that I believe in because I think that more of us should be. Um, more of us should stand our ground on values and morals and things that we feel strongly about. I think a lot of times in this world today, people get swayed, <laughs> you know, left or right, or we want to play the fence because we're scared of those difficult conversations. But we all have something that we're biased to. And I think that we should be able to talk about that. So I like to speak about myself as an advocate, um, activist. It's this idea, and it's so funny because I was saying activist before it became so popular. <laughs> um, and now, you know, everybody's an activist. They have this whole thing around social media activism. You were an activist before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because everybody today is an activist about something, everybody fighting for something. But one of the things that I try to push when I speak about it is being proactive. And so understanding that everything that I do, I'm kind of being proactive and, you know, so taking that advocacy but then being proactive in everything that I stand for. So one of the things that I'm strong about um, or I speak about is, you know, prison abolition or talking about, you know, uh, mass incarceration reform is what a lot of people do. But I like to go left. Um, mm-hmm. 
But with that, you have to be proactive and have things that, you know, you can do to make that. So one of the things that I did, because I believe in that, you know, I had a, a capstone for my master's where that's what we focused on. Alternatives to jail because there's currently a new jail being built in Wayne County. And so what are you doing to back those things that you stand for? And then last but not least, scholar. I feel like I'm going to be like a lifelong student. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I always push, especially to young people, because I do have my hands in education and I work with young people often. It's about always being a learner. You're never too old to learn. You're never too old to be a student. And so I always push people that I'm this scholar because, one, I've been in school all my life, it feels like, now, mm-hmm. and I'm going to continue to be in school because I'm still not done. Um, and so that's kind of where the scholar stands. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, good job. That was very succinct. <laughs> uh, so um, I want to go back a little bit because you said you went to Cass Tech for high school. Is that where yeah. you got involved in student government for the first time? No, I actually got involved in student government in middle school. Really? Yeah. So the same year that you were yelling <laughs> back at the teacher, you you, you were like, hey, I kind of like this talking you know, in yeah. front of people. Yeah. And so, Could you tell me about how you got involved in it initially? Um, so they had like student government elections at the time um it was funny because i actually ran for president i ended up being vice president but it was a young man he was actually like a star basketball player in middle school and he ran and everybody voted for him popularity, popularity contest yep. um but i knew people too i just wasn't as popular as he was and i was in the seventh grade he was in eighth grade uh, and so that's at the huge time, yeah. yeah right and at the time it's funny because my mom was running for i want to say one of those like um you Junior reps. Mm-hmm. Me and my mom had the exact same name. I'm a junior. Ah. And so she had these pencils that said Kenya Abbott on the ballot. So I'm stealing her pencils from home and I'm taking them to school and people are lining up in my locker and I'm literally passing out pencils like, like how'd you get these me? made? This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like vote for me and all that kind of stuff. So that's where I kind of got my, you know, feet wet as far as like running for stuff and being excited but what's so crazy is I actually ran for VP because I knew he was going to win president but he ended up stepping down because basketball was way too more it was way too important mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't have the time and so he ended up stepping down and I ended up becoming president anyway oh. um, and so yeah I was actually president of student government I want to say 7th and 8th grade and I did a lot of stuff I did like the news and whatnot too so it was a lot going on were there on. any like like policies that you pushed for like did you, you in know. middle school, no. Things weren't that bad in middle school. We just wanted to have fun. So uh-huh. it was just about how can we bring voice and, you know, get some stuff going. Is the yearbook going to be right? Are we going to have elections? Like, you know, it's easy in middle school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in, when you went to Cass Tech, that mm-hmm. changed? Um, Yeah, Cass was a different beast. Uh, for me, uh, for there, you actually have to run in like 11th grade, end of 11th grade, and then your senior year, the class and all of that kind of takes on. We actually did a lot of planning in the summertime. Um, but once the school year got into play, there was a lot of politics at CAST my senior year. Um, people, Some people know, some people don't. Um, with administration and just the district as a whole. And so it was things that I didn't even know that I was getting myself into, but I was learning because of the position that I was in. And so I kind of had to play that role and kind of be a whistleblower, essentially, (laughs) some of the stuff that was going on. Um, But all I wanted to do was have fun again because, I mean, I'm a kid. And and during that time, I mean, there's rumors being spread about me, about the girl with the attitude. And these are teachers. Like, you know, it was just crazy. But – all in all, I think we had a really good year, and I, you know, I still stand on a lot of the stuff that I stood behind and I spoke out against. 
So. Oh, well, good. Did you were you president then too, or did yeah, you? Yeah, oh I, wow. I ran for president for oh my, my senior Lord. class, class of 2010. Cast it. All right. Well, um, could you walk me through your collegiate career? Because I know it's. I know you've, you said like you're still in school now, so you've, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot there. But well, like, actually, you... I just finished. I just walked the stage. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, thank you. That must have felt good. Yeah, to be done. So yeah. You know, Fishing. class of 2010. You know, <laughs> when it started, right? Yeah. So. Um. So college, MSU was a interesting space. I would say that. Um. I never thought I was going to end up in Michigan. So when I applied for school, I applied for seven schools. None of them were in Michigan. 2010 was the first year that they did on sites for every Michigan school at CAS. It was a Saturday, and any student that went to DPS could come in and apply and on as on-site for any Michigan school. Why me, right? Mm-hmm. So my mom's like, get your butt down there. You're going to apply. So I applied to Michigan State and Western. Ended up getting accepted. I knew I was going to get accepted. I wasn't scared about that. Um, my parents pushed me to go to Michigan State. I don't know why. I really want to be a rebel, UNLV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't happen. So there I was entering Michigan State. I stayed in Hubbard Hall my freshman year. I actually think to stay at any school in Michigan, Michigan State is the place to be. It's like the perfect college experience. Like the things that you see, how big the campus is. It's not too far, but it's not too close. Um it was just a lot of things that I enjoyed, but I quickly got involved in stuff. I, I was on many different organizations at MSU. Um, my freshman year, I was on Black Poet Society. Um, I actually served on Hubbard Hall Black Caucus um, student government as well. So each hall has a government. Isn't that mm-hmm. funny? And you have to run in your hall and stuff like that. I actually ran for VP. I didn't win, so I ended up being a Black Caucus rep. Um I did a lot of things my freshman year, which then turned into me trying to get more official, I guess, and doing bigger things. And so after that, my freshman year, I ran for a position called uh, political affairs director for Black Student Alliance, which is kind of like the umbrella organization for all like the governing, um, well, the governing body for like black works. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, ASMSU, which is the Associated Students of Michigan State University. I am not. Um, So that's basically like the governing student body for Michigan State. And so through the position that I ran for BSA, I was actually our representative to go to those meetings. Oh, okay. um, and so I got involved in government at the yeah, <laughs> top you, level. You, you jumped right in. You were involved in pretty much like, everything you could yeah, be. It's it crazy. Like. It's crazy. Um, so that was like sophomore year that that happened. Very involved with them. Um, after that, I mean, I was taking classes. So I was also one of those people who stayed at Michigan State. I never really left like that. I enjoyed school that much, I guess, where I didn't really want to, like most people who go to school in Michigan and live in Michigan, you go home every weekend. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my thing. I'm like, I'm living up here. I'm going to stay up here. So I stayed up there my whole freshman summer into um, my sophomore year. And it's funny because I went in as a journalism major. By my sophomore year, I was all the way into sophomore credits. So I was pushing junior credits. And by that time, I knew, like, I'm going to have to get a backup major. Because I know I'm not going to be a journalist coming out of college. I knew right. I didn't want to go to no newsroom. And so I kind of got my feet wet a- academically and like electives and trying to see what else that I want to do. So by my junior year, I was probably uh, double majoring by then. Didn't know that I could get two degrees yet. Um, learning a lot about that. 
junior year was a, a little bit different. And one thing that I forgot to mention was my sophomore year at State, it was very politically tense. There was a lot of racial tension going on on campus. Um, there was a, a, um, something hung from a ceiling uh, that looked like a swastika kind of deal. Um, a young lady in one of the dorms, uh, they posted a sign on her door that said, no niggers, please. And mm-hmm. during this time, Black Student Alliance was excited to be involved in community. We were just getting our face back, you know, with people, people knowing about what we're doing, people attending programs. And so it just kind of like it was a culture that was created before a lot of the tension came that just kind of amplified it. And it was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we were having like. Town halls packed with people coming out talking about racial issues. It was crazy. Um, and this would have been, I'm, if I'm doing my math right, like around 2012, somewhere 2011, in there? 2011, 2012. Okay. It was that year. Um, and so then once 2012 came, you had like the Trayvon Martin stuff. It was just so many things. Presidential campaign. locally yeah. and nationally that was going on that was just really amplifying racial differences and people just talking about these different things. And we kind of played a big role in that on campus. And it was really crazy because, again, I'm only a sophomore. I got on this org to kind of grow myself and found myself in the middle, in the thick of things. And I just didn't even understand how I got there. But that really prompted a lot of where I went with my social activism later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. Junior year got a little bit different. Um I kind of was doing more stuff academically. Like I said, I was I was treading waters as far as what what was I going to do with my major, how many degrees that I want to have, stuff like that. By my fourth year, um, I ended up joining the sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, and I also got heavily involved with the organization called African American African Studies. And I got to study abroad and go to South Africa. Oh. So that also had a big impact on me. <laughs> and I will be asking you about that as well. That's on my list. So. <laughs> And um, so that was very huge. And then my fifth year, I stepped back a lot. I ended up stepping down from a lot of e-boards. I ended up doing more stuff on my sorority. Um, I did do one called African-American Celebratory where they do like black graduation every year. So I was over that kind of stuff. But I stepped back because I felt like my last year I should be turning, you know, passing the baton yeah. and seeing, you know, all of the work that I had yeah. done, kind of see see it out. And, and I stepped back and then I graduated 2015. And then after that, I ended up coming back home that summer and working at United Way. Okay. And and. Where did you just walk uh, just 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 recently? University of Detroit Mercy. So I started their program in 2016, Masters in Community Development through the School of Architecture. Very fun experience, I'll say that. Um, I learned so much about development and just things that are happening in Detroit, things that are planning to be happening in Detroit. Um, it was really an eye-opening program um, just to know, like, who the key players were, who's actually, you know, in the th- <laughs> at the conversations or at the table and things like that. So I definitely appreciate that program. Okay. Tell me about politicking. Politicking. So it's so funny. I actually <laughs> – I talked about this, like, in undergrad. And it's silly because I always like I want to do like a show like I'm a journalist, like a podcast, major. like you, you, even at even the, that. At the time, I didn't know what it looked like. I just knew I wanted a show. Uh, I kind of talked to you a little bit about this, but I watch a lot of Bill Maher, mm-hmm. and I love what Bill Maher does. You know, I can give him a lot of criticism. I don't agree with everything Bill Maher says, but I love his show. 
Um, I have to admit, I, I, I do. I, I watch it not every week, but I catch uh-huh. up on. It. I'll go a couple of weeks and I'll, I'll see who he had on, and then, and yeah. then go from there. He, he, the way he approaches issues and just politics is from a very different point. And like a lot of, you know, like we watch the news. That's usually where we get our politics or where we get, you know, current events and things like that. But the way he brings people to the table that are both politicians, entertainers, comedians, and all of those type of things, they all come from with a different perspective. And he's a comedian, <laughs> so he brings like an informal kind of feel to his show, but mm-hmm. he's talking about things that matter. Yeah. And so I've been watching him since I was young. My dad always watched Bill Maher when I was a kid. So I would kind of watch it and I was like, what's this, this? And then I grew up and kept watching him. And it was so funny because I'm like, I like this guy. Yeah. And, so, and that was in the politically incorrect days before he got kicked off of uh, so politically what's funny incorrect. Is I never watched politically incorrect. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch politically incor- incorrect until recently. I started watching shows because I got the fire sticks. So I could watch anything. Uh-huh. But I started watching those shows recently, and I was blown back because I was like, he was even more crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they kicked him off. Yeah. You know, so I actually didn't see Bill Moore until he started with oh, um, real time, which mm-hmm. is what he got now. Real time. He's been doing that for like sixteen years now, something like yeah. something crazy like it's crazy, that. Crazy, so many seasons. Yeah. I even went back and watched old seasons of it just to kind of catch up because again, I didn't watch it all the time, but. Politicking was, I knew I always wanted a show because I went to school for journalism. I just knew that I didn't want to be a traditional journalist, like in a newsroom, writing stories. I mean, I could do stories. I do blogs here and there. Um, But overall, I always knew I wanted a show. And so when I moved back home, I started working. I started doing all of this stuff. And so by that time, I'm like, let's do it. You know, you're not doing anything with this part of your degree, but you have a lot of stuff that you want to talk about. And so I started kind of, you know, working with people, picking their brains about what this could look like um, and how I could kind of go about it. And so the year that I actually decided to kick it off was the year I turned 25. And so I made this commitment to myself that once I turn 25 up until I'm 30, I'm going to drop a different project every year. And so I kicked it off with politicking and I did like a whole 25 for 25 where I connected with 25 people that inspired me um, to kind of get like a pub behind it and get people excited about it. And so all of them were kind of talking about issues that mattered to them. They talked about, you know, how they felt about Detroit and all that kind of stuff, because that's what the show was centered around Detroit. And so with that, I kind of kicked it off with all of these people that have inspired me. And it's kind of like. Help me navigate how I go into discussion because I'm thinking about these different issues and these different things that they talked about in those, you know, filmings. And then so now I brought it. So the first season we did more of like a live kind of show feel. Um, It wasn't live, but the way it was recorded was kind of like panel style. And then into season two, I was like, I want to go podcast because I feel like when it's more informal, people are more likely to participate. A lot of people get intimidated because it's politics essentially Mm -hmm. because it's politicking but like i try to tell people all the time politics integrates every part of your life it doesn't matter if you want to be a part of it or not when you walk outside you know how much gas you're gonna put in your car that's politics Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the air you breathe that's politics (laughs) like your taxes in your house politics how much you paying for whatever you paying for at the store politics so it's just kind of making people think about it differently and i've gotten so much good feedback from it since 2016 um, it's been pretty cool and I like how it's evolving because now I'm becoming more consistent and it's becoming something people actually look forward to. So that's cool. And so that's, uh, it's about two years then since you've, you, you started the, yeah. the podcast part mm-hmm. of it, right? And, and I mean, uh, when did you get involved with Podcast Detroit then specifically? Well, actually the first year and a half was all video recordings. So we just did straight up shows. I had different places that I would go to. 
I started the podcast journey with Podcast Detroit. Oh, okay. And so I've been doing that since this year. Um, but all before, I only had about five episodes, season one, um, and it was over the span of a year and a half, just because I was trying to fill it out. And it's and it t- it takes more, it mm-hmm. takes more energy, time, and money to do like a whole video production versus you know doing something podcast style. Right. So. And th- those videos are just posted on your website, or where can we find website those? and YouTube? Yep. Politic and Outs is the Facebook, and then I want to say. Um, on the YouTube, it's politicking, and then the yeah Facebook, and that's politicken with K E N, so like the first three letters of your name. Yeah. So that's the. <laughs> how long did it take you to come up with that name? You know, it's so funny. One of my friends helped me with the name. I was just writing it out because originally I didn't know how I wanted it to look. I knew I wanted it to be in, so it kind of had a, <laughs> you know the slang feel. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was like, "Why don't you just write K E N? That's your name." And I'm like, "That's awesome." So <laughs> I take ideas from everywhere. <laughs> um. So, uh, the, the thing with your show is that you talk about local politics quite a bit. It Mm -hmm. seems like it's all, it's all Detroit and what's affecting Detroit. Like you mentioned the new prison in Wayne County that's, that's Mm -hmm. being built. Um, I have two questions related to that. Mm -hmm. The first one is what, in your opinion, is the biggest challenge facing Detroit today, just in general. Mm -hmm. And the second is I get most of my local news from uh, WDET on the way into, to work, which is, I like WDET. I think they do a great job. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't really have any any insight into what's going on in the city. Like I I didn't I'd never heard of that prison being built when, mm-hmm. until I I was at your show. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can I go about changing that, and where can I get inf- more information on finding out what's going on and staying up to date on what's going on in Detroit? So real, I'll answer the second question first. As far as staying up to date, I say be involved. <laughs> it's easier. So for me, a lot of things that I find out about is because I'm in these spaces. Like I'm in community development. So I'm learning about what's going on. I'm in education at work. So I'm learning about what's going on in the education world. For me, a lot of my information that I get is from being involved, sitting at tables, outreach. Um, I'm, I'm really been trying to encourage friends and family to be active in their local communities, like whether that's a community meeting or if that's just going to, you know, some city council stuff, because honestly, the stuff that they put out in the news, they want you to know about it. I mean, technically, right? And yeah. usually those aren't the things that are the most pressing or most important at the time. Um Because, for instance, like even with the whole water crisis that was going on in Detroit, Mm -hmm. like we knew that was going on. If you go into the schools, you'll know that students haven't been drinking water for over time before they actually said in the news out loud, hey, we're putting in these hydration systems in the school. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of about being more involved in the communities that we live in. That's what I would push. And I mean, of course, Google our phones. Like, of course, check your sources. But I Google a lot and then I go and look like, okay, who posted this? Then I'll go see if it's some other, you know, articles or whatever, you know, to find a credible source. But utilize this phone in our hand. I mean, we got smartphones for a reason. Most of us are just scrolling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But definitely, like, if it's something that's an issue that you're concerned about or you care about search it i'm sure you'll find out something in the city um as far as the pressing issues one i mean my biggest one has always been education um i think it's getting a little bit better um but that's definitely one and then secondly the wealth disparity that's happening in detroit right now uh, so I live in like the neighborhoods. I live on Six Mile and Southfield, West Side, um, near Grandma Rosedale area. I work 
I've worked downtown. Now I'm in New Center because we've moved. Total differences, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) As far as like who's present, um, what's accessible, um, you know, even how you can interact with the law easier, you know, (laughs) like down, like it's very safe downtown versus where I live. And so the whole uh, wealth disparity that's happening as far as accessibility and equity in the city is something that I think is very huge. And it also plays a part, though, when you think about education, because education for many people, um, they say that's the gateway, you know, to success. That's how you get, you know, your leg up in society. So if our students in Detroit aren't getting, you know, the necessary tools or resources or information that they need to prosper and be uh, competitive in this ever-changing <laughs> time, mm-hmm. um, especially when we think about technology and just infrastructure, just a lot of things that that is pressing right now because those are industries that people need to feel. And so are our students, you know, being equipped to participate in these fields. And so thinking about education as that gateway, but also understanding that there is an equity issue that's happening in Detroit right now that some people are speaking about. I mean, it's come up in a lot of conversations that I sit in, especially with the community development side, because people clearly see how downtown midtown and gentrification and the impact that it's had on those communities. But will we learn from that as they begin to trickle out into the neighborhoods and start to do development there? Are we providing um, opportunities for all or are we being exclusive to certain groups? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because you said wealth disparity. I mean, that kind of like mirrors, you know, it's, it's so interesting how that, that everyone except for a very small group at the top is just, is, is on some form of hustle, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, <laughs> and that's true for everything. Like yeah. I talk about it with musicians. That's how the music industry is right mm-hmm. now. Everything is just, and it, you can, you can look at the entire country and see that, or you can look at one specific city like Detroit and see yeah. it. Um, did that, obviously the wealth disparity, you know, has been going on throughout human history. It's yeah, taken on sure. different forms, but like for Detroit, the one that you're talking about now did that kind of start in 2013 with the bankruptcy and all that and sort of the restructuring of the city or, or has this been going on even longer than that? You know, I argue, like you said, you said history is a uh. historic kind of thing. But I would say it started happening earlier. We just didn't notice it because even a lot of the plans, when you think about the queue line, the riverfront, um, some of these developments that are happening in downtown, those plans were in place in, in mid-early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Right. So you already had a handful of people with capital who were in conversations and invested in Detroit, whether we seen it or not. And so I will argue that it probably happened before. And then that kind of was the tip of the iceberg because that incident impacted so many people who were at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, now you see yourselves like I have no chance to compete. <laughs> right. Well, that was kind of the parabola, you know, like mm-hmm. that was the the we're, we're around the bend now. We're into a new era sort of thing because we're, mm-hmm. we've you know, there's we've been coming this way for so long and now we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to uh, like the whole Kevin Orr thing. I remember when that happened, that was kind of like a, you know, that was a real uh, interesting thing to watch for me because I didn't – I'd never seen anything like that. And I know that they did it in other cities. I think Flint had one and I think uh, – what is it? Uh, Benton Harbor had one. Highland Park has one. Pontiac mm-hmm. has had one. Yeah. So multiple communities, specifically communities of color. But well, yeah. It's, that seemed to be all of them. It seemed yeah. to be – you know, uh, that seemed to be the, the trend. But um, it was – but for Detroit, Detroit was its own animal because it's just – for one thing, the history of Detroit and what it used to be and, and, and 
and the uh, sort of the uh, just even the size of it. I mean, like the Detroit is so freaking huge. You could fit yeah. like three other. You could fit Boston, St. Manhattan, and 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 San Francisco inside it. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see? Here's what I'll ask you: Do you see Detroit? Obviously, it is coming back in some form, but do you see it coming back in a way that you that you would like to like it to come back and and sort of addressing these issues like education, like across the whole city, regardless of what neighborhood you're in, mm-hmm. the schools all have a a decent, uh, they're all decently run, they all have funding that's that's adequate and all that, mm-hmm. um, and then the wealth disparity sort of because I mean it's not like that's the thing that kills me is like. People talk about the, the the New Deal and everything and, and the great middle class uh, acceleration that we had in the middle of the 20th century is this aberration in history. It's like it doesn't have to be. And I, and I sure hope it isn't because mm-hmm. that would be – for most of human history, life sucked for, for the majority of people regardless of who you were. It was just you were, yeah. you were starving or struggling or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, do you see that happening or is it – I mean, honestly? Yeah, I mean – think it's possible i try to be optimistic because i do i think we can do anything we put our minds to i mean humans like we're at the top for a reason when you look at species but overall i feel like it takes people having those real conversations and wanting that change to happen um i actually was able to sit in on a meeting with you know the new what is it the planning development director who's like over the planning and stuff like of the city and, you know, he was talking about how um, it was it was an it was a response to people who were talking about like gentrification and about, oh, you know, white people are moving back in and that's a problem for Detroiters. But his argument to that was that they can all move in and we can still be there. Because that's how much land and space that it is in Detroit. Because, I mean, this is a city that used to have a million people. You know, we now only have a few hundred thousand. And so that's a problem when you think about taxes and trying to occupy this land and keep it up as well. And so the issue is, can people move in and be neighbors to each other? Mm -hmm. And so that becomes a cultural conversation because now we're hitting on things that are around race racial disparity you know those Mm -hmm. are the tough conversations again going on what do people stand on and what do they believe in and so i believe that it's possible but we have to address those situations because that's the reason why you know people feel pushed out of a midtown Mm -hmm. or feel pushed out of downtown because there there seems to be a value that's placed on other lives and not black lives in certain spaces because for instance there were environmental issues that have been going on near the Midtown area for years, mm-hmm. decades. Now, <laughs> they're, they're, adju- they're yeah. addressing it. Mm-hmm. Was it that we didn't value the lives that were there previously? Because that's not the first time the conversations have come up. But now we value that conversation because there are new people in there. And so, like, I'm an optimist <laughs> at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I believe it can happen, but I believe they're going to take some tough conversations and we need the right people leading our city to get us to that point so where we can have equity across the whole Detroit. Lot, lot to get into there. I, I did <laughs> want to say, cause I, I'll, I'll start with this because um, I, I was on the internet yesterday. It was just yesterday and I was, somebody was talking about diversity and, and they were like, what exactly like is, why is that automatically a good thing? And I realized I'd never really asked myself that question before. Like, what is the science behind that? Mm-hmm. And I read up on it and it turns out it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just if people spend time with each other and get to know each other, then that, may, then that overall over time makes a community stronger because they're, they're not as susceptible to being 
to, to wedges being driven between them, mm-hmm. to stereotypes. If somebody throws a stereotype at them, either way, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're not going to believe it because they're like, well, I, I know these people. I, I know that that's, you know, not true. Maybe, maybe it's a little true, but it's not true the way that you're trying to make me believe yeah. it's true. Um, so, but as far as gentrification goes, we just, my brother, uh, just moved down to DC, okay. uh, last, over Memorial Day weekend. Um, I'd been there when I was a kid. I'd never, not since I was a kid. I'm, I love DC. Yeah, I, 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 I love it too. The, the history is, is yeah. just, I mean, amazing. But, um, we are, our, our first Uber ride down into the city, uh, the guy was talking about gentrification. He said there's people that's lived here for decades and decades. And he said, as soon as they get priced out, they have mm-hmm. to leave. And it's like, that would be, you know, my parents own their house, you know, where, where I grew up and, to, and to, for that to happen to me, that would really piss me off. You yeah. know what I mean? To say the least. Uh, and, so how do you balance that? How, yeah. Because obviously you want communities to get better, right. but you don't want the people that are there to get priced out because yeah. they they stuck around. And, you know, whether they had to or not, whether it was a choice or not, mm-hmm. shouldn't matter. Uh, they uh, they stuck around and you wanted to improve, but you don't want to just to shove them off to the side. So, I mean, how do you do that? Like, what's the what's the process? I mean, because community organizing and all that, you've, you've, mm-hmm. you're familiar with it. How is it? What's the theory on that? How can it be done without? I mean, so the bad stuff. That's a hard conversation. So one, affordable housing should be a thing, right? I don't. I mean, my thing is, what am I paying for for this thousand two two thousand dollars studio downtown? <laughs> you know, like what are we? What's the upkeep? Like, what am I paying for, right? And so when you think about a space that was once, you know, you had affordable housing, you might got some mixed, you know, um, what is it? Mixed rent going on, like you got some people paying at market rate, you got some people paying at, afford- at affordable housing. Those are kind of like environments that a lot of developers, when they were coming into Detroit, they were playing around. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my issue with it is I don't mind the price of living or, you know, um, property values going up in my community. As long as the people in my community are getting jobs <laughs> mm-hmm. to support that. So then that becomes another conversation. So... Yes, we're raising the price of living. We're ra- market values are going up, but people still don't have jobs that are meeting the needs of that community, you know, or can meet or can help them meet the needs that they they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's going on right now. I mean, that's not just Detroit. That's a tri county area. Um, at work, we do this thing called Alice, um, and it focuses on I think it's asset limited income constrained employment maybe or something like that. I got to relook at the um, thing, but it analyzes how all of these people are working, but most people in these areas can't meet their basic needs. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about housing, um, child care, car, car. If you got a car insurance, you know, you start factoring all of these things that you have to pay for. And while all of these things are getting higher, we're still stagnant when it comes to income. To wages so, and, again, yep. when we start talking about equity, what jobs are available? Who are these jobs available for mm-hmm. in Detroit, right? So, again, I'm not anti-property um, values going up, market values rising, but it's about how are we supporting the people that that's impacting? Mm-hmm. Are there jobs in that community that they can actually go and become employed at? Is there transportation that can get me out of my community to go get a job? So we have to start dealing with all of those things before we just start raising prices. Mm -hmm. Because for me still, what's the point of a $2,000 studio in downtown Detroit? And we don't even have reliable transportation that can get me from 
here to there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you to know? the job that's probably yeah. out in the suburbs anyway, yeah. right? Sorry. Are you familiar with uh, you know, George Carlin had that joke uh, where he was talking about um, uh, he was talking about middle class people and poor people, and he said the the poor people are there to scare the shit out of the middle class people, <laughs> and to and you know that's there for they're there for the rich people to point at, and for mm-hmm. the middle class people and say, "Careful, that person." What's the joke? It's like they take eight, you know, there's. Pizza with ten slices, mm-hmm. and they divide the last slice up, and, the, and then they tell the the middle class person, like, "Hey, the poor person is going to take the other half of your slice," mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, because it's you said struggling and like you know wage stagnation and everything, it's amazing how like society has sort of over the past forty years calcified mm-hmm. into this into this this current state where. Uh, no matter where you're at, like it's like like you said, wages have been stagnant. Unless you own something, unless you're you're involved with capital, you haven't really. It's it's been a slow go, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I mean, do you see this? I mean, I, I know you said you're an optimist, mm-hmm. and you said that there's there is theories, and 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 we know how to how to do this, right? Or we have a, and at least we can take a damn good guess as to how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean. Not to press the issue, but do you see it actually happening? I mean, honestly, I mean, is it? I know you said you're an optimist, but like, and if you want so, me like, to how whine is, today, Allie. well, I mean, you don't have to whine necessarily, but I mean, is it the the reason I'm asking this is like like the 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 first the day that I met you was a Saturday at the beginning of May, mm-hmm. and I did your show, and then uh, I did another show, and Andrew Yang, you know who he is, the guy's running for president, wants to give everybody a thousand dollars a month, Mm-mm. he's he came in and he was talking and I, and after the show, I was trying to get him to, to say like, do you think that this, this is the wealth disparity? Do you think human society will ever, mm-hmm. ever be arranged? Will we ever get to the Star Trek society? You know, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need communism or anything where every, there's no competition or everybody's just the same automatically, but to just constantly have as a species, like, are we ever going to make the decision? We have to, you know why does it? Why does the majority have to struggle while uh, just so that a, a tiny minority can live like gods? And we've been doing that. Every civilization has had that. So it's like, how the hell do we get out of that? Mm-hmm. And and that's what I was trying to get. And he didn't want to answer it either. And he wasn't even on the fucking air. And, and so that's so questions. Yeah, well, I mean. Again, like I'm an optimist, but I also understand the challenges that exist. And so in a capitalist society, essentially, I mean, that's just kind of how it's set up. Somebody has to be at the top. Somebody has to be at the bottom. That's kind of how it's how it's set up. But in doing my research, particularly looking at um, the whole um, jail abolition stuff and just thinking about, you know, alternatives to jail. One of the case studies we did was out of the Netherlands. So Europe. Europe is a capitalist society Mm -hmm. when you look at their countries though a lot of our issues they don't deal with because they have universal health care they have you know a lot of the things that we we education is free a lot of the things that Americans go in debt for and which are liabilities Mm -hmm. they have taken care of so then it goes back to the question why why is the because this is all the western world right (laughs) How are they getting it right? And we aren't. And the difference is those are more homogenous communities. Mm -hmm. So it takes me right back to the conversation about we have to deal with the race problem here. Can it happen? Kind of. Capitalism is a tricky beast. Um, I'm one of those people who I'm not a full capitalist. Like, I don't think that has to be the model. Um, 
I, I also am not somebody who's going to say, oh, we should go all communist or socialist or anything like that. I think that there is a healthy blend of all of these different um, ways of going about it. But at the same instance, there are things that are at the root of the problem here that we have to deal with because it's also about who who's at the bottom, right? Who's constantly struggling? Who's dealing with all of, you know, the strife? Because it's not everybody. It's a lot. And now the middle class is been ate up in so many ways. Do I think we can get it right, though? Again, those are tough conversations to have. I think money is fake. Yeah, literally, it <laughs> is fiat money. Yeah, it's fake. Yeah. Like there is no real backing or value. So why is it that people can't meet ends meet? And then even with that, can we address things like taxes? Right. As I get older and I learn more about how my money is taken and how they do stuff. Nine times out of ten, the money that you take out of my account (laughs) for taxes, I probably could have met ends meet with. Yeah. Yeah. And it went to chances are it went to the military or somebody (laughs) who's, you know, some millionaire billionaire. So just thinking about different ways we can deal with the problem. But those are like innovative solutions that people don't want to hear, because honestly, I just believe that the people who are at the bottom, people don't value who have the control. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, again, it's hard conversation. Can it happen Probably not right now <laughs> because people are just so caught up and we're becoming so much more divided. I don't even think people can see a utopia like that. Well, it's so maybe it sounds yeah. like so you're saying there's a chance. Well, it's like uh, it's, you know, it, you. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, Kenya, this is the first time I've ever uh, looked over at the clock and real and gone, oh, shit, we have five minutes left. <laughs> Usually it's I'm, I've been I keep I keep an eye on it. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. So um, I got two. I got two quick questions for you, and then we got to wrap up. I'll um, keep assisting. <laughs> uh, my first question is: Who do you like f- for the Democrats against Trump in 2020 right now? You Out know, of the, you have many, many choices, as I'm sure. You I'm know. not even gonna lie. I'm not even paying attention nationally right now. Really? Um, I've seen a couple people come on Bill Maher. I've seen a couple town halls on CNN. They don't stand out to me though because I can't even remember their names, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and so with that, I haven't really chose. I mean. I'm in a in a space right now that I just think I want somebody that can be honest and transparent and real. There was this one guy, and it's funny, I always forget his name. He ran in 08. This is when o- Obama was running, Hillary was running. And at the time, I actually liked John Edwards. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this guy, because I used to go to a lot of political events when I was young, my grandma. And I was at the debate in Chicago. Only politician I ever heard give a yes or no answer. It blew my mind. Did he look kind of like Bernie? No, he didn't look like Bernie. Because I, th- I, th- I was thinking Mike Gravel is the one who's the senator. Who, who, who is he? I, I can't remember his name, but he was running. He was a candidate in 2008. Um, and this is when they had everybody. So it was about 10 of them, I think, at the time when they did the debate. But only politician I've ever heard give a yes or no answer, honestly. And that's it. Like, no extra stuff, no left or right. And so I'm just trying to see... Who can gain the people, you know, like who can come in with something to say that actually makes some sense, but I haven't heard it yet. So I'm still waiting. Start local anyway, right? <laughs> they say that's that's the key anyway is yeah. to do because every, you know, major movement is all started on the ground. So and you, so you got the people, right idea. It's so many people running too right now that even if I do support somebody, they might not even make it. And yeah, so I exactly. understand politics. So I want to see who's going to kind of get there first. <laughs> That's that's probably the right the right move, yeah. especially now. I think there's 25 of them. It just it's like last month, I was like, "Why are these people still announcing? Like, yeah. what are you thinking?" <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, 
last question. Um, what's coming up in the future for you? And do you have anything to promote? And where can we find you? And uh, uh, for the more? future for me, um, I'm really just getting into kinship, which is my umbrella organization, which politics sits under. Uh, politics and sits under kinship is about building community together. It's a community development organization, um, also with a youth programming component. But doing a lot of stuff in the community, I actually just had my first collaborative event last Saturday with a, a business called Revere States. We actually did a block rehab, which was really cool. And so I'm hoping to do something like that again. Um, I will be having a fundraiser for my birthday. Um, more information to come. I haven't, like, solidified everything. Birthday is in July. And so you can find me, though, at kinship.org. That's my website. Um, all my information is on there as far as what type of programming I'm interested in. You can also get the link to politicking on there. Um, you can also follow me on social media, uh, kinship, period, L3C, um, politicking, underscore, <laughs> P-O-L-I-T-I-C-K-E-N. Um, and so, I mean, just follow me on social media, uh, check out the website. All of my information is there. You can definitely stay in contact. All righty. Well, mm-hmm. Kenya Abbott Jr., thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank you, Alice, for having me. I'm glad you thought of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a good conversation. Yes. Um, and, uh, we'll, you know, you're a fellow podcast Detroiter, so mm-hmm. we'll see you out there. Definitely. Um, but uh, everybody else, I'm actually off next week. I will be going uh, to D- uh, DTE to see Bob Seeger with my buddy. Um, so I will be back, uh, the week after that. And my guest is another author. I've had a lot of authors on. This is a Wattpad author, um, Daniel Barnett, who is a horror author and, uh, he's gotten, uh, some success on Wattpad. So we're going to talk to him and, um, hopefully I can learn how to replicate some of what he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so everybody have a great week or two weeks and, uh, I will be back. I, I, I'm drawing a blank on what freaking date that is. It's in the twenties. Let's say the twenty. 20- <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to give the wrong date. But anyway, two weeks from now, talk to everybody then. Everybody have a great two weeks. This has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com.